The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. We are super thankful that Sam is here to talk with us about conflict in marriage, and um, she can go into exactly what she's going to talk about with us, but I'm going to pray for her, and then we'll welcome her up. Father God, we just thank you for being our provider, and God, you give us the grace that we need each day through um, good things and through hard things, and we thank you for the grace that you provided through providing a speaker for us this morning in Sam. We pray that you will just speak in and through her and um, help us to just take into our hearts what she has to share with us this morning on the topic of conflict. And we know that you are in conflict and you are working in conflict, and so we thank you for that and those opportunities to grow us, even though they are hard. Be with us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Oh, that's easier. That's easier. <laughs> Perfect. No worries. So great. Good morning. Um, I was talking to, is it Melissa? Oh, great. We were talking this morning. Or it was you or someone else after that, and she said, oh, you're talking about um, conflict in marriage. I said, yeah, my husband and I fight all the time, so I have lots to talk about, um, which is funny. We do have conflict, and we've grown in having conflict, and some of the things that I'm going to share are the things that have helped us grow in having more resolved conflict and recognizing when we have differences, when we cannot change the circumstances. His personality is actually the same as it was when we got married, and the things that rub my personality, my, my personality hasn't changed either. <laughs> so we have learned to navigate conflict differently than we thought we would navigate it from the beginning. And actually, when Emily texted me and said, so Sam, looking for any ideas, we just lost Ruth Bauman. And I was like, oh, Ruth Bauman, that'd be so great. You can't replace Ruth Bauman. Um, But I said, but actually, ironically, Paul and I are on a marriage retreat right now that we're leading 13 couples through these different conversations. And I just finished, we just finished the slideshow on um, communion and communication, um, parentheses, conflict (laughs) with, with your spouse. And I said, so if put me in your back pocket, if you can't find any of these number of people who would do a great job, then (laughs) I would be glad to to do that. Um, So, okay, now I'm getting warm. a few people, and this is a small enough group that we could have conversation. There, This is kind of what I am, this is the outline of what we're going to talk about. It could be a fire hydrant of information, which I know is like, no, thank you. So you can slow me down at any point and just say, wait, can you double click on that? Or I know some of you are more bold than others, but if you could say, can you land on that one a little bit longer. So the beginning of it is just communion with your spouse, some big picture things to keep in mind. Nothing shocking that you don't know, scriptural, common sense things, some big picture, communion with your spouse. Um, This talk comes after we talk about communion with the Lord, that that out of your communion with the Lord is how you're going to experience better communion with your spouse. After talking about the big picture communion, then I'm going to talk about some things about understanding yourself in conflict. And this actually goes more broadly beyond marriage conflict. This is with your family, your parents, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers. There is so much about understanding yourself 
to um, raise that awareness, you can actually engage other people better because you realize most of the time in conflict, I'm not listening and I am not understanding. I do not care where they're coming from. And therefore we remain in a sense of conflict or separation instead of being able to reconnect or connect at all. And so there's a, the middle section is on understanding yourself. And I have a couple of things that have been helpful and some tools that Paul and I use and that I use with um, one of my family members that I have a really hard time with. And uh, who is also not working toward conflict. That person has not changed in all of the years that I've known them. And so, but I have learned um, how to handle our conflict differently. And it's shocking how much quieter our relationship has gotten. Not because that person's changed, but because I've learned through a lot of principles that the Lord has given us um, about how to understand where I'm coming from and then communicate. And the last section, which Emily said, yeah, when you and Paul, because usually Paul and I have done, we've talked about this together at Moms, and we've covered some of these things before, so it'll be a reminder. Um, but the thing that she said we hadn't touched, it was you, Emily, that we were talking about. Um, there is a, a an exercise in Prepare and Rich, which is what Paul and I use when we're walking through marriage or pre-marriage with other couples. Prepare and Rich is a test, and there is, we don't use a lot of things in it, but we do love um, the exercise on active listening. And so I will try to spend some a little more time on that at the end because that actually has helped me even in my engaging my neighbor who is not a believer over our ability to have conversations about faith is through this active listening exercise. And it can so it can help with your spouse, which is the point of today, talking about conflict with your spouse. It can also help with your children. My 13-year-old, the active listening thing was like, oh, this was amazing. I used that for her and it worked. Um, and so I want to make sure I get some time on that. So all that to say, this is going to be a lot. <laughs> I want it to be helpful. And I prayed this morning on the in the car with the girls on the way to school. It's like, Lord, um, the girls are praying with me and for you all. I said, Lord, would you help this be helpful and encouraging? And so I want to pray that right now. God, your word is, gives us everything that we need for life and for godliness, life and godliness and parenting and being wives and being neighbors and being daughters. Um, you're everything that we need. And so we just, I pray that you would give us ears to hear from your spirit and from your word and that you would guide us as we desire to be more fruitful, engaging, um, connecting um, relationships, have more connecting relationships with the people that you have placed in our lives. And today, most specifically, our, our spouses. And so we pray these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I just thought that picture is so cute. Don't we all want to be older and happy like that together? Although that movie, tearjerker. Um, okay. Um, so... One of the things I want to talk about when you're thinking about communion with your spouse is just, it is helpful. I know in Christian circles, we talk a lot about like, what is my calling? Like, where am I supposed to live? And what am I supposed to do? And what is my job? And how many, where is my kids supposed to go to school? Like, what's my calling? That is a really important thing to us. And I think it's really helpful to know there are a lot of things that we're not sure about what our calling is. But if you are in here and you are married, here is your calling. The one that we're very, very sure about. Um, Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's your calling. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, 
And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And that's what makes this an incredibly beautiful calling. Your calling to be married to your spouse is a calling to reflect, to live this metaphor of Christ and the church. And we know that that is mysterious. Christ and the church, the bride and the bridegroom. And we are always the best at being the bride. Um, We're really good at needing the covering that he gives us. Um, But sometimes we don't understand. We're not communicating with the bridegroom. I just was actually praying with my mother this morning on the phone, and we were acknowledging that there are times when things get really hard in our lives, and we cut off communication because he knows everything and he's there and he, I don't need to tell him because he knows and I am and the communication stops um and that is absolutely happening between the bride and the bridegroom sadly he doesn't go anywhere he continues to pursue and in our marriages we're wanting to live out this calling of reflecting the beauty of the bride and the bridegroom together but it is it is a challenge and that's why today we're talking about conflict This is your calling. I've said that to a few people because I was talking with a friend and she was like, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, marriage. And I was like, I know. And she just said the personality conflicts that we're having, the preferential, the lack of shared leisure activities that we have somehow did not strike me in my early 20s. And now that I am in my 40s, um, that is just loud and clear. And one of the things that we ended up talking about was like, but isn't it something to know? But this is my calling. Like, this isn't plan B. This is plan A. And God has something in this for me and for her and for for you, this is this is God's design. Um, and I will just say here, barring anything where you, if you are in a in a harmful marriage or know someone that is, there would be a different conversation that we would be having. That is a different thing. So I'm talking about um, run of the mill garden variety sinners, two sinners married to one another. Um, this is this is your calling, and that helps. Remember, I didn't make the wrong decision. I didn't like wasn't thinking straight. And if only I'd known. Um, this is what God has called you to, and He provides everything you need to walk through it well. So, big picture, I do say the first years are foundational, and I just think even in Deuteronomy when. A man is newly married. He shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife. And I think that there's something there that I appreciate that's just saying what you're doing in this calling actually takes precedence over your job. Like this calling is really important because this one goes to the grave and that one may not. And I think that that can just, that can be helpful because sometimes we need permission to, in our earlier years of marriage, to be like, need help, can't go on. And it's like, then let's pair back on our mission, our ministry, the other things that we're doing that are extraneous, even job. Do we need to change jobs so that we can allow some time to focus on the health and need of care? I don't know the answer to those questions, but they're questions that we can ask because this calling is the one that you and your children, Lord willing, will have be experiencing for a long time. So it's just a perspective about why this is so important. It's such an important topic. Um, And when you start to have children, you're beginning 
a new family culture. And I'll give you a quotation in a second. When you get married, you're beginning a new family culture. You are experiencing the gospel in new ways. And with your children, they are growing up in a different, you're creating your family culture. And that is what they are going to experience before they, Lord willing, leave your home and make a family of their own. But that is what's coming. So Tim Keller, and that's the next quotation too, says, how your marriage is, is how you face the world. And that is why, and we've seen it, there are marriages that are older that, um, and their marriage is really difficult, so they're very compartmentalized. And it's like they do married life and then they go and do a job. And some people throw themselves into their work because that's more satisfying and less work than their marriage. And that is, that is a challenge. So it is really a beautiful thing to spend time and date nights instead of just being like, let's just do something fun and let's just watch something on Netflix. Sometimes it's very much worth the effort to be like, we got a babysitter so we can sit down and work on how we're doing or spend that on counseling if we need that or spend that with another couple who will press in on us because how you are doing your marriage is how you face the world. Okay. Um, Oh, it wasn't a Keller quote. So there's a book that Paul and I used, found helpful, kind of did some light bulbs for us. It's called How to Argue So Your Spouse Will Listen. Title's a little snarky, but not quite. It's actually more than that. It's more beautiful. But she said, marriage can either confirm your internal lens. This is about creating a new culture with your spouse and then with your children. Your marriage can either confirm your internal lens and old patterns of relating, like you did with your family, or it can create opportunities for new and healthier experiences and patterns. It is amazing how God uses marriages as a place where you are not only refined, but also healed. That is, that is what the Lord has in store. As, and that doesn't mean like, oh, we need healing right now. We didn't get it. And it's, that's okay. That is ahead of you. That is what the Lord can do. This healing that is possible for you. He's not finished. Um, and he's not finished having your children experience yours and your spouse's gospel relationship with each other and with Christ. Um, when your spouse connects with you emotionally, he or she becomes part of the healing process of your old childhood wounds. Um, and so that is a process. It's something that um, takes a while. One of the phrases that Paul and I use, and I'll make this one quick, is just same team. That just We were in the middle of a very big fight in India, um, feeling very separated from each other. And I just, the, I just remember thinking, I just don't feel like you're on my team. We're not on the same team right now. And, um, and that kind of became for us, like, do I feel like that was my way of being like, do I feel like we're on the same team right now with our parenting, with our parents, with his parents, with my parents, with other people who are calling us to do things? Do we feel like we're on the same team? Because that is our calling. There's one flesh right there and there, and we need to be on the same team as much as we can. And when we're not, it's worth a lot of effort and prayer to get there. Um, so just briefly pursuing and preserving overall trust, love, and commitment to this person. It helps me remember in one of our, like some of our ugliest moments where I was like, I can't believe how much I don't like him. What if I felt this way for a long time? Actually, one of them was before we were coming to speak at moms and we had this huge disagreement. I was like, I don't like you. Do we need to be able to like give a talk where it's like, what if you're married to someone you don't like all the time? And we were just like, we had never had such a big moment. And we were both like, so we separated for an hour and a half. I took a nap and then prayed and got in the word. And I don't know what he did, but we did a lot of work with the Lord before we could come back. But, um, but remembering too, one of the things that I thought was like, well, I've, I did 
say I do to him. That wasn't because this wasn't an arranged marriage. Like I liked him and there were things about him that I liked that are still there. And they just weren't coming out just now. And uh, so it helps us to remember, like, we, we got here. And you could have this, these conversations with people who are in arranged marriages because God even does work through that. So there is helpful to remember um, the commitment, the love, and the trust that you had. Even if you're not having in that moment, it can be helpful to remember. We were on the same team. That's why I bought a dress and walked down the aisle. Um, working to address people or circumstances that are potentially dividing the two of you. Sometimes um, it could be a mother-in-law. Sometimes it could be a child in different parenting techniques. Sometimes it could be, in our case, we were leading a team of people and there was one student that just kept um, coming in to, to divide us. And it was just identifying what are those things that are kind of um, hitting us in that place. And then knowing we need to work on figuring out how to be same team when we're with your mom or when we're with my parent. Um, so, okay, lots of that one. Um, and this is where I'll go into the second section, but strategies to staying on the same team. Um, the first one, this is what we'll talk about next, is understand yourself. And it's like I said, and I'll give you a couple little tools Understanding what's going on here, because a lot of times we can think we're having conflict. We're not on the same team because he never does this, or he always, or this is what happens whenever we go out in public or whenever, like when we start to recognize that we're shifting a lot of the responsibility for the conflict on the other person, um, we're actually shortcutting a lot of good that can be done by the Lord, through the Lord, and for reconciliation and restoration by recognizing what's going on with me. Why does this bother me so much? It doesn't bother everyone. Um, why, why is this our, the thing that we get stuck on? And the second one is communicate, and that's when I'll go over the act of listening. And the third one, I'm not going to give a talk on it, but it's just the short accounts idea. Um, my, um, I have a family member that um, ended up divorced and uh, I w we were having a conversation and he said, you know, I just woke up one morning and I was like, mm, mm, no, you didn't just wake up one morning and you didn't love her anymore. Um, this was a long road of unreconciled, unforgiven, unworked out conflict. And then you lost track of the fact that you actually disagreed with me when I said, I'm not sure that this marriage is, is going to be based on Christ because one of you isn't claiming Christ. So I don't know that this is going to, back then you were like, no, we're soulmates. And I'm like, so this, this happened over a long period of time and taking inventory about where we have short accounts that need to be kept or where we haven't kept short accounts and they're longer accounts, those can be more work to do with a counselor, with other couples. But when the old frustrations continue to come up, it's because we haven't walked through those in a healthy, redeeming way, and we need to do that. So these are ideas on how to stay on the same team. And I won't talk a lot about the short accounts, but that one is a thing to keep in the back of your mind. Are we, and Paul and I are a big fight, um, it's more fun when he's here and we can joust a little bit, but I would say I'll try to represent him, but um, I would say we we went, got together. We'd been both really busy tag team parenting 
And then we had this one and a half hours of these people letting it, watching, you know, we were free. They're like, have a date. Just, and the moment we got on the date, I was like, you know, there are a couple of things I want to talk to you about. And, uh, and he was like, oh, great. Cause there are a couple of things I want to talk to you about. And then we realized like, physically speaking, I had a deck of cards <laughs> that I had been holding and we hadn't had time to work them out. And so I was like, that's fine. I'll just hold them and wait until, and then when we got together, I was like, bam. And he was like, oh yeah, me too. And threw them down. And it was like, well, yeah, you've got that. But that was because I was holding this card and how would I have not done? And we just had realized we had not connected. This is not the only reason because we're sinners and we're selfish, but we had not over six weeks we had lost our weekly rhythm of touching base for short accounts, um, which is just what we do as part of our date night or our walk around the block is like, do you have anything you want to share with me? Anything about parenting? Anything about like, we just had that weekly rhythm and we lost it for six weeks in a row. And we had a lot to talk about there at the end. <laughs> um, so, okay. Understanding yourself. This is just the phrase. There are a couple of phrases that go with it, whichever one um, goes with you best. It's the thing beneath the thing. Um, also could be called a dragon. That comes from how to argue so your spouse will listen is dragons. I really, that one, I liked that one. Paul didn't like that one. He liked the thing beneath the thing or triggers. So in our marriage retreat, you see what we did? We compromised. We've got all three of them right there. Um, but that is where something happens. And if you could separate yourself from the situation and watch yourself, you're like, interesting. That dirty plate in the sink really woke up some deep, fierce anger. It's a dish in the sink. But then when you realize perhaps like what that represents is me growing up where my dad expected my mom to do everything for him and never lifted a finger. And she just all the time was working. And then when he left it there, he was saying that I'm the only good at being in the kitchen and not doing a career like he, like whatever it is. It's like, oh, really? Because he just went out to meet someone at the door and left the dish in the sink and would have been glad to wash it if you'd asked him. Like there's is the dragon trigger thing beneath the thing is when you recognize there's more going on, which in the other quotation reminds us, there are things that I experienced when I was growing up, things that people said to me, things that I observed that gave me fears, that gave me um, awakened insecurities that I made vows. Um, I will never, I just talked to, um, actually it was Karen Tomlinson. She said that when she was little, that she, her mom spanked her and then she went and grabbed her doll and was like, when I'm a mommy, I will never spank you. And it's like, um, we make vows. Like when things happen, we're like, I will never marry a man who does that. Or I will never be a wife who, there, there are these things that we do. And so when we have circumstances um, it's helpful to know that often there's a thing going off beneath a thing. My husband is an ISTJ, which means that we have worked on understanding what's going on under the surface, whereas I am an ENFJ, which means I'm introspecting all the time ad nauseum. Like, I could tell you how I'm doing, why I'm doing that. I could probably project about why you're feeling that way. If I were you, I would feel all these things. So that's been a fun thing to figure out in our marriage um, so that I can imagine at points I just noticed a change in your voice. He didn't even notice it. I'm like, can you tell me what's going on right now? And he was like, yeah, you suggested that we do this thing. And I felt like that was pressure and expectation on me because I've already got all these other things. And I'm like, wow, so there's a lot going on beneath the thing. 
for and sometimes we can recognize that in someone else better than we can recognize that in ourselves. And so it's helpful to know while we're understanding ourselves if we can separate even journal or talk to someone else, this is what happened. Here are the circumstances. What was happening before that? What were you feeling when you woke up that morning? It can help you understand the self that you're bringing into the conflict and why in a reactionary moment you snapped at your spouse or your child. It wasn't because they spilled. They spill all the time. That's what children do. Why did you rage in that moment? Um, Was that a representation of how many times you need to go to the grocery store and that was the last bit of milk and now you're going to have to wait for 24 more hours before and how are you going to stop the crying after nap time? And like what was happening right there? More than that event is often. And when we can take time, which I'll give us a little time later, if you can think of a circumstance where you realized an, an extreme emotion came out of you with your spouse, with your child, could you identify in that moment, what was the thing going on beneath the thing? Or what was the trigger? What was the dragon? Starting to do a, a practice of figuring that out can help you become more familiar with your particular dragons or your particular particular triggers because often they're the same things that we're feeling pressure or fear or longing for that are underneath that bring those about. Um, okay, Paul liked this quote. Um, I was like, let's not use the word hysterical. Um, but when you get hysterical, it's likely historical. Um, that is just what we just talked about. Um, knowing your family background, I think, you know, there are a lot of things to think about um, what your values are when you think about what the, your ideal is for family, for weekends, for nights. For A lot of that is either in a positive way because of what you experienced and you had an amazing experience of this and you're trying to recreate it with someone who isn't coming from the same place. Um, or it might be that you had a negative experience and you are going to redeem or you made some vows of this is what we are going to have an experience and then it's not happening. So understanding your family background and how that affects your desires and hopes can help you understand why am I so frustrated that we didn't get to um, go out because my kids got sick and we didn't get to go out on the date night. It's because oh, my parents never went on a day night and I don't love their marriage and that this was our only hope and I'm putting so much on this or I had such a hard week and I didn't give myself a break and so I was really clinging for this and now that it's lost, then we're here together with sick kids in bed and I am not fun to be around. Yes, that. Um, so um, recognizing those things doesn't mean once you recognize these things, they will never happen again. Like every time the kids are sick and you're going to have a date night, happiness all around for everyone, flexibility and grace. It just means that we're going to be able to more quickly repent, more quickly engage with the Lord over our grief and our sorrows and be more gracious to the people whose sin or brokenness or sickness is inconveniencing us in that moment. It helps us recognize, oh, every hour I need thee, every minute I need thee, um, and why? Instead of thinking, these are my circumstantial problems. Um, okay. This is a, um, one of the things that I think can happen, and I have, I have a real illustration for this when I've done everything um, hypothetically up until this point, but Paul's given me permission to tell this story. Um, we were at the beginning of our marriage before kids, and I, um, we both loved working really hard on the campus. And but there was one day when I was going to surprise him because I, 
he had a favorite meal that I just figured out and I went and got everything for it and he thought I was gone. So I was like, what time do you think you'll be home? And he's like, I'll be home at five. And so I spent part of the time fixing this more complex meal that was a copycat restaurant thing. I was very proud of myself and he loved it and it was fun to do something that he loved. And I had it completely ready and at five o'clock he wasn't there. And, and then five at five... I had a phone, it was a flip phone back then, but I could have said, hey, thought you said five, where are you? But you know, friends, there's something. Why are we laughing right now? Why are we laughing? I'm not gonna text him. He knows you said five. Interesting, isn't that? So as we're talking, my primary emotion, those are vulnerable emotions. I want connection. I'm hopeful. I want to do something that gives you joy. It, I sacrifice for it. They're vulnerable emotions. And they are um, fun for a little bit of time <laughs> unless they start to feel like we're get, they're getting threatened or shut down or not met. Vulnerability is a very difficult thing. And we don't even realize, how, is, how am I being vulnerable when I fix dinner? It's like, because I spent time and sacrifice and hope and thought, and I'm laying my heart out there a little bit. And so as the time creeped into 5.15, somewhere in there, I started my plan. I'm like, do I cover the dinner and leave it on the table so that he sees it when he comes in? Do I just scrape it all into a Rubbermaid, or I mean a Rubbermaid, and a Tupperware and throw it in the fridge or the Rubbermaid trash can? Um, do, like, but my, I started thinking, what am I going to do to make this as epically grand uh, catastrophe for him to feel? And then at some point, I started actually hoping that it would be later because then there was something about feeling more and more. I'm like, I hope it's 545 because then instead of a 30 minute window, it was a 45 minute window. And then the food is definitely cold and definitely not as good well heated. And it was just this switch that happened. And what was going on there is the primary feelings when they're threatened or hurt or not met, then we start living out of our secondary emotions, which can you hear it? Are opposite of what I really want. I want connection. I want to bring him joy. I want the, I want a great evening, but I am starting to figure out how to sabotage however good it could be. Um, I am starting, and, and in fact, when he got home at six, um, I saw him pull up. I went downstairs to the basement and I started doing laundry. Um, so that when I heard him come in the door, I'm like, and I, I don't remember what I had left the food on the table or on the counter. Either way, visible. And so he's like, Sam? Sam? And I'm like, oh, I'm just so busy with the laundry and I can't, the door is so loud, I can't hear you. And I'm doing, and I'm just enjoying this very opposite from what I really, really, really want. And he came downstairs and was like, hey, what's going on? And I was like, dinner at five? What are you, what is going on with you? And he was like, did I say five? Like our meeting went until six. Like I actually got home a little bit early. Like I, I really, and I was like, and now I'm, I'm caught in this place of these primary and secondary emotions. And they're all very real and very valid. They're, they, they came there for a reason. I was protecting myself, even though I wanted connection for him. So now it's really interesting after thinking about that happening and all the time in little micro ways, that was a big way that was dragged out for a long time. But you can see it all the time. Whenever I want him or need him to help me do something and he can't or he's frustrated or like, 
can you do it yourself? Or like, hey, like at the computer, I know how to technology. And he's like, oh. and I'm like, nope, nope, don't want help. Don't want you to help me. I'll call someone else. Like it's just these little things that we do where it's like we're asking for help. We're being connected. We're doing a one flesh interconnected sort of thing. But when that feels hurt, then we can react out of a different emotion that actually pushes us away from each other and from that one flesh communion that we were really created for, knowing that is only half the battle because then you have to walk yourself through it. For us, it's been in communicating where I will say, hey, I know it's just the computer technology thing, but um, I'm doing a primary secondary thing here and I'm finding myself really wanting to separate and ignore and I-N-D-E-P and I don't need you. Um, That's where I'm going here. So I just need a little bit of time or I recognized that he was like, yep, thanks. I see where that came in. I'm sorry. I'm in task mode. And we can talk through it and work through it a little more quickly sometimes. So these are just things that can help you be more self-aware before you even move toward the communication and connection that you're wanting with your spouse. When you're hurt by your spouse, the initial emotional response that wells up inside you is called your primary emotion. They're your core emotions, deep down, pure emotions you feel at first. Secondary emotions are those that help us defend or cope with our more vulnerable primary emotions. They often obscure our awareness of our primary emotions. And that's the big thing, remembering your primary emotion while you're fighting your secondaries. Um, they um, causing us to react sometimes in a totally different manner from our primary emotions. We still can work through it, but it's more helpful to see what's going on. And we can sometimes with the Lord talk. I pray those out with the Lord. We have primary, secondary emotions. I have them toward him. Um, so a couple of questions that people have said, like, why should I have to keep putting up with his dragons or his triggers or the stuff beneath the surface with him? The answer to the question is important. Your spouse's dragons are your problems, are yours, because you married your spouse, your partners in life. You walk alongside each other as you grow and mature. So I love how so many places where Tim Keller talks about you're helping the other person become the glory self. I do think there are a few occasions when there really is not the ability to change. I'm thinking of an older um, family member, and it's like, well, my relationship then becomes not to help them become their glory selves, or not my spouse either, it's just a family member, but to live in the fullness of Christ around them and releasing God working in them or not to Him. Um, I think that when we have connection and vulnerability with our spouse, we really can be on the same team together. But I also recognize there are believers married to unbelievers. And in that case, you're, you're, Besides doing these things, which I think are understanding them, recognizing um, the Lord at work is praying that God does a changing work. But when you have a believing spouse um, who is on the same page here, there really can be a lot of quicker um, movement toward these kind of conversations. But I can think of three specific amazing um, stories that will forever, um, forever impact me in the faith of women who were married to unbelievers who they could not, like they, they were not changing for 15 years, unyielding, not going to church, not wanting these things. And, and through loving, faithful, praying, um, knowing the gospel for themselves, surrounding themselves with the relationships that they need that sharpened them, that strengthened and supported them. Um, in three cases, husband became a Christian. Um, 
and it was long and it was hard, but the beauty of the glory of, of what happened was, was amazing. And I think even in hearing this, I think these things about knowing yourself and how you're being impacted by your spouse is helpful in any context. So, um, okay. Um, let me see what time it is. Okay. Maybe just for a second, if you have your phone or something, um, because we just did a fire hydrant, the next thing I'll do, and we'll have enough time to do active listening, maybe just take a minute to type out or write down something that you think that is something that I can do. And that is something that I want to work on. Just one thing that you think the, the primary secondary, if you need to think about a circumstance that you had this week with your child or with your spouse, if you can think, yeah, this helps me looking back on that situation. This helps me understand myself a little bit more. Can't change the circumstance, but this could help me think about how I'm coming into the situation. So take a minute to process that. I know parents don't have a lot of time to process when the kids are with you. So Okay, I know it wasn't enough time, but I really want to help in the last few minutes that we have with this tool for active listening. Um, I breezed through, there's some scriptural references about when to listen and when to speak and speaking the truth and love and all those things. So there's some biblical stuff that I just flew through um, to get to this place because I think knowing the word, which tells us that we're honoring another image bearer and often a brother in Christ, that it is important to know that our truthful and loving communication, which I think comes from understanding before we speak sometimes is going to be really helpful. And sometimes it's just having the tool. So what we do is um, you have to have the space to learn to communicate. You have to take time on your own or with your spouse, if that's a possibility, to think about how to change communication patterns that you have that are unhealthy. So that's why at the beginning, you know, it talked about you could be redoing um, your family culture in a way that's breaking unhealthy, ungospel messages that you experienced in your family of origin, but it takes time and there isn't a time when you can't not do it. Paul and I had, um, had, I mean, for our when we learned this act of communication, um, I think we had been married at 12 years at that point, and this was really helpful to us, but it took us time. So the way that you do it, and I'm going to be very scriptive, um, you can do it by yourself, and then you can practice it with your spouse, and then you can do it with your spouse. But you do, you have to have some feelings words. Um, and there are things, if you go feelings wheel on Google, you'll have a whole wheel of different feelings words. Um, one of the ways that we've heightened an awareness of feelings in my house, because I have three people that don't naturally introspect all the time, um, we do a little jar in the middle of the table that has 
um, popsicle sticks that have feelings words on them, like enraged, embarrassed, humiliated, delighted, elated, um, giggly, like all these words. And everybody has to pull out two sticks when we do this. It's not every night. We'll, we'll do the feelings jar and you pull out two sticks and then each person has to look at that and, you, and there are four words. So you get to pick which of the four words on each end that you want to do. But you pick two of those to say the last time that I felt embarrassed was when I was laughing so hard and I almost peed in my pants. And so I had to run to the bathroom. That was the last time mommy felt embarrassed and, um, and like enraged. Ooh, girls, you know when mommy was enraged. We were in the car and I was running late and someone pulled in front of me and it was really short and I slammed to the brakes and I was enraged. That's right. So interestingly, the other three, when they pull out the things, they're like delighted. And that one's usually an easy one, but... Um, humiliated. And then sometimes the rest of us are like, I know the last time you felt humiliated. Um, it was when you had to give your little Chinese speech and it didn't go well, or it was when like, but other people can sometimes see better, which is why it's a fun group project to do that. Um, so for the activity, which that's a potential family activity to do the that um, active listening, you've got to have some feelings words because the formula, and I really think you have to start with the formula, is there's a positive way and a negative way to do it. The positive would be when you help the girls set the table when dinner's ready, I feel delighted, supported, encouraged, partnered with. Now that's a really, the when this event happens, I feel, it's amazing how many, it's difficult to put feelings words in there, but when you share that with someone, then their job is to say, what I hear you saying is, when I help the kids set the table for dinner, you feel delighted, supported, encouraged, and then your job is to say, yes, you got it. Now that seems really simple, doesn't it? So you can just try that one with your spouse um, and just, you don't even have to do the active listening. You can just say, hey, I want, it's, it's a positive encouragement thing. It's you thinking about things that they do that you appreciate and encourage. How often do we need to grow in our affirmation? <laughs> That's something you can just practice that one without him having to know how to repeat it back. The difficult one is when we do the negative wish list. Um, I'll just give one that Paul gave that kind of threw me. We were doing this with a couple that was getting married and we were going through the prayer and prayer and rich. And then we we're like, okay, well, we'll do a wish list. We'll do it out for you guys. And, um, and Paul was like, okay, I've got one. I, d- I think we both did positive. He's like, oh, I've got a negative. And I was like, oh, oh, sure. Of course, Chrissy, do we have lots? What is it? <laughs> and he was like, I, when you interrupt me, to finish my sentence or stick your oar in to say whatever you're going to say, I feel disrespected, unseen, and un- unimportant. And I was like, oh, when, when, have I, when, have, when have I done that? And then the couple was like, I'm like, oh, stop. Like, you saw it today. I've done that today. And they're like, yeah, twice. You, you finished the sentence. I was like, okay. Um, I was like, when you, oh, so what you're saying is, oh, and we've done this exercise. I was like, so what you're saying is, uh, you do, when I interrupt you or finish your sentences or stick my oar in to share, 
wait, I, I don't know. What, how do you feel? I didn't hear you. Like, all I was thinking is, when do I do that? And you interrupt me too. Um, that was, I wasn't listening. And so the difficult thing, and this is why I would say be careful <laughs> when you, you know, we're all sitting here together by ourselves without our spouses. And so you're like, hey, I just learned about wish list. Buckle up. I've got a couple of things for you. Um, I think it's more helpful to think about this and the positive on the front end, but to but to offer, you've got to give them a chance to give you a negative one too. The formula is really simple, but I think it's really helpful. Action that everyone could see, action and feeling. And it's hard. It's super painful. You've got to have your full gospel tape because in that moment, if you're connecting, what I can say in that moment is, when I interrupt you, finish your sentence, jump in to say whatever I want to say, you feel disrespected dishonored, unseen, unloved. I'm so sorry. I don't want you to feel that way. I want you to feel respected. I want you to feel um, loved. I want you to feel seen. Can we talk about that some more? Like, can you give, I think I'm, I'm unaware. I have no idea when I'm doing that. Um, how could we do something so that you could let me know when I'm doing it, if I'm so unaware. But I want you to hear me say, I don't want you to feel those things from me. Will you forgive me? So the connection now is hard when I was being blindsided, but we got there <laughs> with the other couple in the room. We're like, um, we got there um, and that was really helpful. So that formula, which the first time that we started it, Paul and I would go on a date night and we're like, okay, Let's do two positives and one growing point. <laughs> Let's do, and then we would sit down and write it out because sometimes you get, you think about all the examples you think, so we'd write it out, two positives and one negative. I'm like, okay, you first and repeating it back exactly. It also seems very elementary to repeat exactly what the other person's saying. Try it. It is actually difficult. You cannot remember because you're thinking of something else, what you're going to say or how that didn't happen. It is very difficult. Um, so once you do that, Paul and I did the formula, wrote it down. When you blank, I feel blank, repeated exactly. We did that on a couple of dates and it was really helpful for us to, because we're also ready for it too. Like we're having, it's our time to do active listening exercise. And we were both ready to grow and to help them grow. Um, and so you have to have the time and the space. This is a Caroline Jones phrase, but um, she talks about, kids being in the green, yellow, or red. Is that, is that familiar? Do people know what I'm talking about? Okay. I'm just going to say it really quick because it's amazing as are many things that she shares. Um, but green, it's helping your kids know their emotions when they're in the green or when you're in the green, we're happy. We can have a conversation. And when we're in the yellow, it's like, wait, I can't have cookies. Um, yellow, yellow, no and never again. You can have them because of your attitude. Red, like, like not okay. And so, um, green feelings are happy and we're good. Yellow is like, oh, don't know, but you can get from yellow to green. You can get from yellow to green. You can't have a cookie right now, but I'm going to set your cookie right here. And as soon as we eat the black beans, then you can have it. Hopefully that gets us back to green. I don't know. It can, it can. <laughs> we've practiced, we've practiced. Um, but the idea is that even relationally, it's, it's awareness, being self-aware and helping be aware with your kids. Are they in the green? Because if they're in the green, we can talk about the fight we had yesterday. Um, and that was, my that was my 13 year old. We had a just, mom, you're not listening to me. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, okay, 
sorry, and I was trying to ask questions. And she's like, you're not hearing me. And so I let that go that day. Like, we're not going to go there again. Next day, Saturday, I was like, hey, sweetie, um, while we're, whatever she was doing that she was happy about. And I said, what would you think about you and I going on a walk, on a longer walk, um, which she loves quality time. And um, she was like, yeah, I would love that. And so we'll think about it. Would you be okay? Because we're in the green. Would you be okay if we tried to maybe touch on that conversation that we had yesterday that I didn't do very well, um, which was in the red? We ended in the red, started in the yellow, ended in the red. Um, And she was like, yeah, yeah. And as we walked, it was super hard because she said the same thing 10 times, like same situation of what happened at school 10 times. Like I could, I am like, I got it. I got it the eighth time. I got it again and again. The problem was first day I was like, honey, I got it. Like, they're mean to you. Like, this happened. Like, I got it. Um, Nope, nope, that's not active listening. Active listening is on a long walk. Like, do you want to say anything else? Want to say anything else? And she's not doing the exercise with me. This is just me employing it. And I said, anything else? I think that's it. Okay. Can I tell you what I think I hear you saying? Yeah. And then I took those 10 same stories using different words from all of them. And I said, it sounds like yesterday when you were at school, and then I told the situation, the, act, the action, like the, just what happened. And when that happened, it made you feel, and then I used her exact words, um, that you weren't sure how you felt. It just had, you had a feeling. There's just a feeling. <sighs> yeah. Thanks, mom. I didn't do anything. I didn't, well, I quit talking. I listened for a long time. And then I just active listened what she said and we connected. So we went talking in the green about the red is what we can do with our kids, what we can do with our spouses. We cannot analyze or be like, we need to do active listening because this isn't going well. Like not going to go well because we're in the yellow red. It's in the green later. It's like, could we redo the conversation that we've been having for the last three weeks that hasn't gone well? How can we get in the green? Kids babysat us in a different space um, and maybe writing it down and making sure we have time to listen. Can we try that again? And I really want to understand and I want it to help you understand. And, um, and sometimes we need to get help from other couples too. So I'm five minutes over time. That is the active listening thing. If anybody wants to ask questions, just um, it is a practice thing. You could try doing that with someone with your, like if you didn't want to bring your spouses into it right now, you could try with your kids. Like, um, you know, your kids are not going to re- reciprocate it to you right now, but you could do it with your kids. It's like, oh, when you are screaming after a night of no sleep, I feel fearful that it's going to happen for the rest of my life. I feel angry because I can't hear or think. And I feel it's like, oh, gosh, I probably need a little break from my screaming child. Like you can actually understand yourself a little bit more in there too, but it's taking an action and your feelings to figure out how to do that. Why don't you do this? Why don't you write down two positives for your spouse? Um, and that's something you could share with the other women at your table and feel like, I feel good about this. You could also write down a negative and, um, and that would be getting, you don't have to share it, but to get them to pray, would you help me think about finding a green space for us to have this conversation for me to say that? And, um, and maybe that we could talk about how we could maybe change some of our communication patterns. And it might be actually that you just practice this 
The negative is like, I don't listen very well. We keep having a fight. So the, the action step for you is to go home and say, when we're in this moment, which is usually pre-dinner time or when he comes home from work and he, you know, I have things for him to do, but he just wants to sit down for a minute. Like it could be you practicing his active listening without him giving it to you. It's like, hey, can I see if I understand where you might be coming from right now? You've been at work. And I don't know what's gone on in your day, but maybe it was really heavy or you feel really behind and you stay later to get stuff done or you're coming home really wanting to work on it because you feel overwhelmed and stressed. Is that right? Um, and if you're right and you just did that when he walked in, when you're like, hey, because mine is, I've been home with screaming children all day, afternoon sleep, and I didn't get anything done. And it's time for you to come in and pick them up so that I can take a breath of fresh air outside. And it's, you know, there's a, a give and take. But if you offer that to them and understanding, I think it will open doors for you to say, can I tell you where I'm coming from? And it's heavy. Like today, like I, I'm, I'm in the red, I'm in the yellow, um, but it's figuring out how to open those lines of communication and understand. Let me pray and then I'll give you time to do two positives and an, and a negative. Yours for them or them for you. Um, God, thank you again that we are not asked to do any of these things alone. You have given us your Holy Spirit and you understand us completely. Before a word is on our tongue, you know it entirely. The heart is deep waters. Who can understand it? The God who created it. And so God, I pray that you would help us find rest and strength and hope. And that while we are learning to understand ourselves and our spouses and our children, you know us all completely. And there is grace, abundant and steadfast love purchased for us through Jesus Christ so that we are safe. And you offer not only your Holy Spirit as a seal of our salvation, but to be a helper for us to love one another as you have loved us. And I pray that you would do that for these women in their homes. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.